You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for August 2012. Today's episode is titled, The Greatest Trait of Great Workers. If you were asked to identify the greatest trait of great workers, what would you say? Perhaps you might focus on skills, or past accomplishments, or maybe even potential. What do you think the Apostle Paul would say? In Titus 2.9, he addresses the slaves of the first century. Since the slaves were the workers, then the slave owners, masters, were the employers. Paul commanded the workers to submit to their employers. Build your organization with great workers. Teach a biblical worldview of submission, including the three traits that demonstrate submission. Showing up, being in fellowship with God, and subordinating personal interests to the organization's interests. When you build with submissive workers, you build with trustworthy workers who will deliver great value propositions to your customers and, in the process, bear a positive testimony to Christ. Submission is the greatest trait of great workers. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, The Greatest Trait of Great Workers. Well, to set a context here uh, for our teaching on Titus 2, 9 and 10, let's read Titus 2, verses 1 through 8. Now, you may recall we've previously taught this, and so I'm not going to spend time teaching it again, but I just want to remind you of the context. Now, Paul in the book of Titus is writing to his spiritual son, and his objective is to encourage the Christians on Crete to grow and mature in Christ. That is his agenda. We find that in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So here in chapter 2, he's launched into practically how does this how do you walk out the reality of your faith in Christ what does it look like and he's making a connection that spiritual reality whatever you believe to be true whatever you've accepted about Christ and who he is and how he works whatever you understand about him that will drive your life and by the way whatever you don't understand will show up as problems in your life So here he's going to give a series of of teachings that he's telling his spiritual son Titus to give to the people there that are in the Christian community in Crete. He says this, you must teach. See, it's an imperative. It's not an optional thing. What is in accord with sound doctrine? You know, most of us think that uh, sound doctrine is, is theoretical. Sound doctrine is things that you learn you know, when you attend a class at church, it's just, it's just an intellectual exercise, the mental exercise. No, sound doctrine is lived out. Whatever you believe doctrinally becomes how you live. So he says, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine because that becomes the foundation of your life. And notice now he, he begins to talk very practically. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching show integrity 
seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that's the introduction here leading up to verses 9 and 10. And you can see it's a series of very practical ways of living that are rooted in thinking soundly about Jesus Christ. So now we go on to verses 9 and 10. And the text reads this way. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and to not talk back to them, and to not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So you can see he concludes here in verse 10 talking about the teaching that he started with in verse 1. So he's, he's identified four, excuse me, five people groups that he wanted specific instructions given relative to how to live out Christianity. He's talked about older men and older women, younger women and younger men. And now he's talking about slaves. Now, slaves doesn't really communicate to us today because that's kind of a negative term. It's a term that suggests somebody is really out of order, living consist inconsistent with God if you are a slave or you, you have slaves. Well, in the Roman Empire in the first century, slaves were the workers. They had a caste system. Now, Paul is not condoning a caste system. He's simply recognizing what is and now providing instructions in light of what is. Now, clearly, you can see from other texts that, you know, it's, it's better that you don't have slaves. You see that in the book of Philemon, uh, and you see that inferred in other texts as well. So the point here is not to deal with slavery. That's not his point. The point is to talk about workers. It is about the people in the workplace, which is largely you and me today, but back then it was slaves. You see, in the Roman days, when the Romans conquered another country, then the, other, the, the citizens of that country became their slaves. They did the work for the Roman citizens. Roman citizens did not work. That was beneath them. That was demeaning to the Roman citizen. So it was the slaves that did the manual labor, that did the work. So he says here, teach slaves. So you can see immediately that Paul has no problem with slaves being Christians. You see, in the Roman Empire, because of their caste system, citizens really didn't mix with slaves. They were that's that they were in a different class, and so you didn't cross you didn't cross classes. But you see, Christianity crosses classes. It does not matter what your station in life is, what your socioeconomic standing is, what you do or what you don't do. Everybody needs Christ. And so Paul is instructing his spiritual son, Titus, you need to teach the slaves, the workers. They need to know how to walk out the reality of being a Christian in the workplace. So he says the seminal thought here is teach slaves to be subject to their masters. In other words, to be submitted to their masters. The word there for subject is the Greek word hypotasso, and I'm showing it on the screen here for those of you who can see it. And hypo means under, and tasso means placed. So to be subject is to recognize that God has placed me under this authority. And this authority happens to be 
the master. It's interesting, the word here for master is uh, despotes. We get a despot from that. So it's a, it's a negative term to us, but it wasn't negative to them. It was a recognition, see, in, a, in biblical times, they recognized authority. And they recognized that when people were put under authority, if you were a Christian, you knew the truth of Romans 13, that all authority comes from God. So whenever you are under someone's authority, it's because God has placed you there. So to be subject to them is to recognize that God has placed me there. If we were to go over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, we would find that we were supposed to be submitted to these masters even if they are dysfunctional. Now there is a boundary to that, and I think the boundary is given to us in Acts, the book of Acts, where you see you submit to authority to the point where authority asks you to violate Scripture. And that's the boundary. So as long as authority is not asking you to violate scripture, then you submit. You, you recognize you have been sovereignly put under that authority. Whether they know the Lord or not, God can work through them to accomplish his purpose in you. This is a very important message of SLA. It's being under authority. These are called commissioning agents in the Strategic Life Alignment Seminar because we recognize that God works through authority figures to direct us into his will and to learn his ways of living out his will. So this is why workers need to be submitted because God has ordained that workplace scenario. Now that is a brain lock for so many people. Uh, it, it's easy for us to make comments like this. This is a comment I heard yesterday. Someone told me when they became a senior in college, they surrendered to the call to preach. Now, at the time that they surrendered, they were studying mathematics and physics. But then they got the call to preach, so they surrendered to the call to preach. Now, I've never heard anybody say, I surrendered to the call of physics, or I surrendered to the call of business, or I surrendered to the call of software development, or I surrendered to the call of management. You don't hear that terminology because we don't think biblically enough to say that. That would require a lot of biblical thinking in us to see that. So this is part of the problem we have with the workplace is we don't really see the call of God for the workplace. It was interesting in talking to this gentleman that made that comment about he surrendered to the call to preach that in the course of the conversation, we talked about how Jesus was Lord of all. Now, everything in me wanted to ask him, I said, well, then do you think there's a call to the marketplace? Do you think that, would you surrender to the call of the marketplace? Would you use that terminology? But I was, I didn't do that. I didn't want to offend him. Uh, and I thought I made some good progress with him, so I didn't want to spoil the progress that we made. But I think he, he's revealing that where he, where he is in his own thinking, he does not really understand, you know, how God works very well. And this is a man who's nearly 70 years old and been involved in Christianity for a long, long time. Well, over 50 years, probably longer than I've been involved in it. So it just illustrates, you know, the problem we have is of not thinking biblically about the workplace. So teach the slaves, the workers, to be submitted, to be subject to their masters because God has put them underneath those masters. And there's a call. They need to surrender to the call of God to be submitted to that master. And it says, in everything. That Greek word there is the word pos, 
It's the English transliteration is P-A-S, and that literally means everything. If you in Greek were going to say everything, you would say pas. It's just it, there's no exceptions. Everything. So what whatever it is that that master is directing you to do, you'd be submitted, and obviously up to the boundary of them asking you to violate scripture. That would be the boundary. Then he wanna, he articulates three specific ways in which you express this submission. How do you know somebody's submitted? Well, let me suggest there are three ways. Number one way here, he says this. He says to try to please them. Now, sadly, the English translation is not too good here. This Greek word is the word N-A. And N-A means to be present. Now, that sounds very different from to try to please them, doesn't it? Well, that's, that's the, the, the poor translation. The, the word N-A suggests that you are totally present. You know, we have a term that we use of people in, in, in various settings. You might say somebody's out to lunch or somebody's there but not there. Those are common ways that we express, okay, yeah, the person's physically here, but he's not mentally or emotionally here. Well, what, he, what this text is saying is when you are showing up for work, you show up totally. You are there. You know, it's not that you're just physically there. You're mentally there. You're emotionally there. Your energy is there. Your focus is there. Everything is there. You are there to serve the master that God has put you under. So that's the first way that you express being submitted to your masters is you are totally showing up for work, completely there. All right, the second trait that he gives us here is to not talk back to them. Now, this is the Greek word anti-lego. It's a compound word. Uh, anti means against, and lego is, we get the word logos, legos from logos. That's the word for word. So it's, it means to speak against. It's to speak contrary. So what he's saying here is watch your tongue. I don't know if you've, you've ever been in management, as I have, uh, you know, it's very easy for those underneath you to get critical of you and to second guess you and to think that they would do a better job than you. That's a very common phenomenon. Well, that is not being submitted to your masters. Being submitted to your masters is trusting that God is working through your masters in ways that you don't understand and you can't see. And so don't presume that you fully understand. In fact, we see in the last chapter of the book of John and the first chapter of the book of Acts, a key principle of scripture. And that is God works on a need-to-know basis. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus right before he ascended, is it time now for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know that. In other words, you don't need to know that. But here's what you need to know, and that is here's your assignment. You do this, and then he laid out their assignment for them. You see, if you're not assigned to do something, then you probably won't have much knowledge of that, of that area. So you need to know, when you are submitted to a boss, you aren't assigned to be the boss. The boss is assigned to be the boss, so the boss will have revelation about being the boss, and you as a subordinate will not necessarily have that revelation. Now, you might, but you can't assume that you will. 
So you need to watch your tongue. You need to, that's presumption to think that you understand and know better than your superior, even if you as a believer are submitting to an unbeliever. Don't assume that you know. God reveals what he needs to reveal to even the unbelievers to accomplish his purpose. Another aspect of this is the reality that, that the, the mouth reveals the heart. Jesus said this. He said it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you want to know somebody's heart, look at what they say. Look at what comes out of their mouth. That tells you what's in their heart. And so the second element of being submitted to our masters is to recognize that they are given revelation by God, recognize that they have been sovereignly placed over us, be totally surrendered to doing whatever God directs us to do through that master, knowing that we are serving the Lord ultimately. So we got to show up. we got to show up with the right heart, use our tongue properly, don't presume to know, Take a humble position and, and know that you're not going to know everything and recognize there'll be things that will happen that you won't fully understand, and that's okay. That's the second characteristic of being submitted. Now, the third characteristic of being submitted is this. <clears throat> it says to not steal from them. Now, most of us would say, well, I've never stolen from my boss. Well, there are a lot of ways that you steal. The Greek word here literally means to separate from one, for oneself. That is to separate for your own agenda, for your own purposes. So how would you do that? Well, you might separate time. You might separate physical assets. You might separate attention. You might separate your agenda. And you see, you begin very self-serving. It's all about you, what's in it for you. You know, what you want to accomplish, what's important to you. You begin now to use your workplace position for yourself. And see, this is, this is, this is what we typically default to. This is the way the world, world, world thinks. I mean, how many times have you run into situations where people say, well, what's in it for me? You know, or that's not part of my job description. See, these are, this is when we're all focused on our rights and our entitlements instead of focused on being submitted to that divinely ordained master that we have been placed under to accomplish the purpose of God according to his will and his ways. And so we have to, be, to guard our hearts and our minds. It's not just embezzling, stealing money or stealing fountain pens or pencils or stealing computers or even stealing knowledge. It's separating anything that's part of that organization so that serves me and serves my agenda ahead of the organization. We should always subordinate our will, our agenda, our purposes, our desires to the greater good of the organization. So when we don't do that, when we don't live that way, that's submitted at that level, then we're stealing. So this, this gives a, a very robust explanation of what it is to live submitted to our masters. And this is how we live according to sound doctrine. This is how we live according, accordingly as Christians, as we live submitted. We, first of all, show up in every way. Secondly, we show up and we properly use our tongue. And thirdly, we're there subordinating everything to do 
the agenda of the organization because we know God is working through that organization in some way and somehow. So then he says this, instead of stealing or instead of doing these things that are negative, we're to show, to show that we can be fully trusted. In other words, we need to live so submitted that people look at us and they realize we are the go-to workers. Now, all of you have probably been in organizations and you know who the go-to workers are. The go-to workers are the people that when the economy gets tough and the company has to make decisions about who goes and who stays, it's the go-to workers who stay because they're the ones that are making it happen. They're the ones that the, the bosses really trust. They're the ones that they know that, will, that make the profit of the company. And any kind of borderline people, any kind of people that are serving their own agenda, that are there, that are got a, a problem with their tongue, that are there but not there, those people get booted. And they should get booted because they're out of order. They're not submitted to their masters. So we need to, by our proper submission to our masters, to our employers, and you may be a consultant as I am, I consider myself submitted to my clients. By this proper submission, I demonstrate that I'm trustworthy, that, that I'm faithful, that I, will, I am there to accomplish God's will according to God's ways, and God's ways are delegated authority. That is one of the ways of God. So this is how we live consistent with the profession of Christ. Now, sadly, very few people that profess Christ can make these connections. They do not see this. They think work is nothing more than a means to make money. Using this example yesterday of this ex-pastor that I, that I met with, uh, when he uh, left the pastorate and he tried to be an itinerant teacher for a while and he discovered that it didn't provide him enough money, or at least that's what he thought. So he thought he had to go to work to make money. He had no vision that God may be calling him to go to work. He didn't surrender to the call of the workplace. He just wanted to go make money. You see, this is part of the, the deception that's in us. We don't recognize how God works. So consequently, when he went to work in the workplace, he wasn't a great worker. You know, he wasn't sought after because he was he was doing outstanding work because he was so submitted and he was expressing these three traits he was just there to make money so he could go support his ministry see the dualism in him was so deep that I, he can't even see it he can't even begin to see it right now so we are called to live differently we're called to live as trustworthy trusted faithful workers then there's a consequence when we live this way there is fruit it says, so that in every way, this is that same Greek word, pas, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You see, we're back to this sound doctrine again. You see, how we live makes the doctrine of Christ attractive for others or unattractive for others. When you live submitted, truly submitted to your masters, as expressed by these three characteristics, then it makes it attractive. But when you live in rebellion, which means that you're working for money or you're working for your own agenda or some other purpose that has nothing to do with the will of God,
then you're not submitted to your masters, and it makes the teaching about Christ unattractive. That word attractive there is the Greek word cosmeo. We get the word cosmetic from that word. And it, it's, it, to put it another way, is when you work truly submitted to your God-ordained masters, when you really do these three characteristics of submission, a show up, completely show up, show up with a right heart and therefore expressing your, your tongue correctly, and you show up solely to do the will of the organization according to the will and ways of God. When you show up like that, that preaches the gospel like few other things can. It makes the, the truth about Jesus Christ attractive. It put lip, puts lipstick on God. It makes God look good. You see, that's what draws people to Christ, is the genuineness of their faith lived out. It's the genuineness of knowing Christ expressed in every area. You see, what I didn't hear in that ex-pastor yesterday was any real understanding of what it is to truly be God's man in every assignment. What I heard was the dualistic mindset that, well, the work of God is done in the church or it's done on the mission field. No, the work of God is done every day in the workplace. Yes, and it's done in the mission field too, and it should be done in the churches too, but it's done in the workplace. There is a call of God on most Christians to the workplace, and they need to surrender to that call. Just like someone who is called to the pulpit needs to surrender to that call. We all have to surrender our will and our ways to do the call of God, to live according to his will and his ways. So that's the challenge, is can we learn to live with such sound spiritual reality in us that our, that our work reflects Christ. Our work reflects the reality of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Work reveals how sound our doctrine is. If it is sound, then our work will be like this. If our doctrine is not sound, then our work will look like the world. This ex-pastor that I mentioned to you several times now, Yesterday, his work looked like the world because his doctrine is off. And my prayer is that he will see the error of his ways and he will repent. You see, that's what God always wants. None of us has it all together. We're all continually learning and growing. So I pray for each of us that we will see the errors of our way and we'll repent and we'll grow up. And we will all surrender to the call of God in whatever area God has called us to, knowing that we have been divinely assigned there. And when we're assigned there, there is a divinely assigned authority over us. And our job is to submit to that divinely assigned authority and express that submission in such a way that we become trustworthy, the go-to workers. And by doing that, we make Christ look good. So may God give us grace to live that out. 